Okay, so I want to just read together with you the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in John 3. And so we're just going to read it, and then I'm going to ask just for your thoughts and what you think about the conversation. And then we're going to focus in on, on this verse here. So our subject is going to be the judgment. Okay, we're going to kind of relate this conversation to the judgment. And probably for many of you, certainly for me, this was the picture of the judgment that, that I had for most of my life, which was, um, so here I am, not looking very good here, kind of hunched over, and um, of course, who is back there? All the light all the way back. Who is back there? God? And which member of the Trinity? Father. Okay, and of course, um, here we have the law, and I assume things that are written down about things that I have done that are not in harmony with that. And Jesus, what's his role traditionally in the judgment? As, yeah, he's our, he's our friend in court, right? He's the one that um, intercedes for us. Now, I think we want to be careful how we understand this, because if he's our friend in court, who's our enemy in court? Who's against us? Um, well, you can see how we, we're trying not to split the Trinity as we try to think about these things. And, and I think we want to see, of course, all three members of the Godhead equally for us in this process. Um, so is this an accurate picture of what happens in the judgment? Okay, we'll come back to this. But let's, let's read the conversation now. So there was a Jewish leader named Nicodemus who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. One night he went to Jesus... Um, do you think it's uh, coincidental that he came at night? Well, probably not. He probably wanted to do it secretly, right? Because as a Pharisee, it would seem you wouldn't really want to be openly for Jesus. So he came at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher sent by God. No one could perform the miracles you are doing unless God were with him. And I just have to wonder, did we miss some small talk or something in here? Because... Jesus answered, I am telling you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Seems really abrupt, doesn't it? I mean, Nicodemus is almost, you know, tries to be nice, gracious. Is it even border on flattery just a little bit? And Jesus' answer is heavy. I mean, just a very weighty response. Just imagine having that conversation with someone. I'm telling you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. So Nicodemus asks, how can a grown man be born again? He certainly cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time. Completely foreign concept. I am telling you the truth, replied Jesus, that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. A person is born physically of human parents, but is born spiritually of the spirit. Do not be surprised because I tell you that you must all be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, you hear the sound it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. It is like that with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can this be? asked Nicodemus. Jesus answered, You are a great teacher in Israel, and you don't know this? I am telling you the truth. We speak of what we know and report what we have seen, yet none of you is willing to accept our message. 
I read an interesting commentary about this recently, that the we, Jesus is always talking about, his father testifies of him, that the, that the we may actually be referring to Jesus and the Father bringing the testimony as opposed to Jesus and his disciples. But regardless, that's just an interesting thought. But you do not believe me when I tell you about the things of this world. How will you ever believe me then when I tell you about the things of heaven? And no one has ever gone up to heaven except the Son of Man who came down from heaven. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the desert, in the same way the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And we talked about this lifting up the snake on the pole last time. Okay, so here's our famous verse out of this passage. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not die but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to condemn the world but to be its savior. Those who believe in the son are not judged, but those who do believe have already been judged because they have not believed in God's only Son. This is how the judgment works. And could you have a more powerful passage? You know, this is how it works. The light has come into the world, but people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. That's how the judgment works. Those who do evil things hate the light and will not come to the light because they do not want their evil deeds to be shown up. Okay, so um, this is, uh, boy, there's a lot to take in, and it just seems like Jesus hammers one difficult concept after another. How do we tie all this together? Um, what do you take out of this conversation with, uh, with Nicodemus? Any, any thoughts on this? I'll, I'll tell you as a summary, okay, you might not agree with this, but here's Here's a big picture and, and see if you have any thoughts. That the subject seems to be the kingdom of God. Jesus says no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. And he repeats this, seeing the kingdom of God. And he describes this as a work of the Holy Spirit. The wind comes. You can't tell where it's coming from. Uh, but that's the, the function here, the action of the Holy Spirit. And intimately related to that is the sun is lifted up. That everyone might believe on him. And... We see in that action demonstration of God's love. God so loved the world that he gave. Okay? And then the judgment. How do we tie the judgment into all of this? That this is how the judgment works. Light has come into the world, but people love the darkness. Um, does this fit our traditional model of judgment, or how do you understand that? Yes? Essentially, it seems like what Jesus is saying is that um, we judge ourselves rather than God judging us externally. Because it says that there's light that's coming to the world, but we've chosen darkness instead of light, and in so doing, we're judging ourselves. So I rather like uh, that thought because, well, does, does light come into the world and then God determines who will respond to the light and who won't respond to the light? Or does light come into the world and people respond? to that in various ways. So it does get into to kind of a free will, um, I think, issue here. So um, I like that thought. Uh, any other comments? Yes. So I'm not sure how to get from that that we are judging ourselves. Perhaps like how I see that verse interpreted that our actions are basically condemning us in the face of a judge because we're choosing to the darkness over the light. 
Okay. It's not like we are judging ourselves and attempting to change ourselves. No, this is talking about in the bigger picture, you know, what our actions are basically equating to. Okay. And maybe judging ourselves, maybe it would be better to say we are weighing the evidence that, that, we, that is presented to us and determining how are we going to respond. But let's, let's throw up some other verses because I think we have these very dominant, strong images of judgment from Daniel and Revelation. Um, and, but, but I think the, the real specifics, uh, the most we can read about judgment in the whole Bible is in John. So I'd like to take all of this and then let's see if we can apply it to some of the imagery in Daniel and Revelation. Um, here is a, a really good uh, commentary on the Gospel of John and um, some, especially the, the comments about judgment. So this, this is the comments of this uh, individual on this specific verse that we just read. Unbelief, by shutting the door on God's love, turns his love into judgment. Remember, God so loved the world. Light has come into the world. Unbelief is the rejection of that. For this is the meaning of judgment, that man shuts himself off from God's love. There wouldn't be no judgment at all were it not for the event of God's love. And with the mission of the Son, this judgment has become a present reality. And what you see happening through the life of Jesus is he comes as God in human form and he reveals light and you see this dramatic splitting effect. People, you know, enthusiastically enter the kingdom and you have others that violently reject the kingdom. So the judgment is the intense revelation of God's love that we see in Jesus and the response to that is the judgment. So who is the judge? Fortunately, we have... Um, so much more on this in John 5:22, and uh, just let this sink in. It it's, seems quite uh, not intuitive that Jesus would say the Father judges no one. Some verses have a period here. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So what does that mean? The Father is not the judge. He's given judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. So the Father has given all judgment to the Son, and depending on how we respond to the Son here, eternal life, again, as we define in John, is to know you. Eternal life is more than living forever. It's the, it's the quality. Okay, so from John 17, that definition of eternal life. And these individuals do not come under judgment. Okay, and again in John 9, Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Again, that very dramatic splitting effect, the, the action of the revelation of who God is, of God's love. And some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, surely we are not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, if you are blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. Okay, and again from uh, this same commentary on this verse, once again the coming of the revealer into this world, again, revealer of what? Revealer of who God is is described as judgment. And according to this saying, the judgment consists in a radical reversal of the human condition, 
the blind will receive sight and the seen will become blind. Okay, and finally, our, our last key verse here on judgment in John. These are Jesus' last words to the Pharisees. Very intense conversation, and uh, this is the, the climax of it. Jesus cried aloud, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Remember we said this is the dominant theme in John. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. How many times it's repeated. Whoever sees me really sees the one who sent me. Again, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. I do not judge anyone who hears my words and does not keep them. For I came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Now again, I do not judge anyone who hears my words and does not keep them. So we just read he doesn't judge those who accept the revelation. And now the people who do not accept the revelation, uh, I, I don't judge anyone who hears my words and does not keep them. For I came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. Now, pretend you don't know. Let's, let's be surprised a little bit. But who is the judge? Well, let's read on. On the last day, the word that I have spoken will serve as judge. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment about what to say and what to speak. So when we come right down to it here, the judge on the last day is the word. Now, what word did Jesus speak? I mean, the word throughout the Gospel of John is, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So the word in the context, I would say, is believing and really liking Jesus' revelation of his Father. How do we respond to Jesus? I think is the, is the key point here in the judgment. And the word, as we talked about in our first Bible study on John, Jesus is God. The word, we talked about the meaning of the word, that he became a human. The word became flesh and revealed God's glory, not a, not a physical brightness so much, but glory, as so many times in the Bible, is the character of who God is. And this passage in John kind of sums it all together, that no one has ever really seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. If we want to condense down the word, I would say it is this. Okay, Jesus' revelation of God. That is the judge on the last day. That's the ultimate light. Okay, does this really work? So again, here's, here would be my position, and, um, and then I'll just see if you have any thoughts on that. That Jesus did not come to condemn, he came to reveal. Judgment is revelation. Light, the word, God's love, the truth about who God is. This revelation, it's, it's so intense in Jesus, it calls for a decision. We have to respond to that. And if we embrace Jesus' revelation of his Father, we enter into the light, if we reject this, we enter into the darkness, and that is the judgment. So my position, uh, or just how I've put this together, is that judgment is not imposed. You're in, you're out. It represents our free will choice in response 
to God's revelation. Um, any thoughts on that? Yes. I think I think that that's really accurate. I think that when we think of the judgment, sometimes we're a little narrow-minded in that we think that it's it's all about the human race and it's all about us. But when we go back, um, we take a look that there was two options shown and imposed upon all of creation that you can either live in love or Satan says that you cannot, you can live outside of love. Mm-hmm. You can live outside of God. And when Christ comes down and, and reveals God's true character, he shows that you cannot live outside of love. And then from then on, it's our decision whether we want to make our lives to live in love or live outside of love. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, we reap the decisions, the consequences of those decisions, life or death. Right. Yeah, I like that very much. Now, what I want to try to do, I think as much as possible when we try to do theology, that we not key text things together, but we try to use stories to see the, how do the stories really fit. So. Uh, in, in just a little bit, I want to go through some specific examples of individuals and, and situations that we will describe as judgment here in the Bible. I did just want to make the point very quickly here that who is the accuser? If we're making a courtroom scene out of this, the accuser is so many times the adversary, Satan, that we talked about last time. We get this in Zechariah the, with the priest Joshua, and there stands Satan ready to bring an accusation. Then in Revelation 12, Satan is cast down and he's the one who stood before our God and accused believers day and night. Okay, so if we're constructing a you know, courtroom scene and the judgment and all of that, let's make sure we identify who the accuser is. And certainly in Job, Satan was the accuser directly, okay, but also I would say in the three friends. Speaking through the three friends, um, the way that Job was attacked was also uh, the voice of the accuser that we hear there. Have you ever seen anyone like this man, Job? He never shows respect for God. He likes the company of evil people and goes around with sinners. And yet we have God's own words in Job 1. Job is a perfect and upright man. Okay, and we have God's words at the end of the book that Job said of me what is right. So these are accusations, again, through the, the three friends. Moses, interesting um, story in, here in Jude where... Um, Satan and Michael the archangel argue over the body of Moses. Okay, and again, Satan in his role as accuser in this situation. You can't do that. Okay, and when we talked about the interaction between Jesus and Satan in the wilderness temptation, um, you know, that the implication here, if you are God's son, kind of trying to imply doubt. And Satan even accuses God, right? Isn't that what he did at the tree? said, uh, God has lied to you. You know, that's an accusation against God. So he's the accuser of us. He's the accuser of God um, all the way through the Bible. So judgment and the accuser, this was our key verse from last time that in John 31, now is the critical moment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be expelled or we could say exposed. Okay, and so the, the judgment what we see at the cross is the revelation of God. We also see the revelation of the adversary. And from where is Satan cast out? I would, I would rather say, rather than this being a change in physical address, location, okay, what's happening? This is in our minds that this is taking place, right? And if, as we begin to understand these things, 
Um, I think the, the lies, the accusations, all of those things are cast out of our mind, okay, is, is primarily what is happening here. That's where Satan is expelled from. Okay, and uh, we couldn't overemphasize this, that we want to bring all of the Trinity together in one and in harmony when we think about the judgment. And so we take a passage like Romans 8 just to say they're for us. They're for us, all three of them. So the Spirit comes to help us, weak as we are. The Spirit himself intercedes with God for us. And we will have a whole Bible study on intercession when we get to the end of John. And so I'll just make the claim now that intercession goes from God to us rather than shielding us from God. It's poured out on us. The intercession is, is God's way of, of communicating with us. That's through the Spirit. So in view of all this, what can we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? God is for us. Certainly not God, who did not even keep back his own son. We're talking about the Father here. He's for us. Who will accuse God's chosen people? Well, we know who the accuser is. But God himself declares them not guilty. Who then will condemn them? Not Christ Jesus. For I am certain that nothing can separate us from his love. There's nothing in all creation that will, sorry about that, ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is ours through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit all working together in harmony uh, for us. Now, but the other part of this passage uh, here with Nicodemus is the Holy Spirit. And so somehow that is integrally, uh, very carefully related to all of this. And John also has the most to say about the Holy Spirit. Um, these are all words in the upper room. Um, so you would think the night before Jesus is going to die, he's going to share just the meatiest, most important information. And he has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. And he repeats it three times in this conversation. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. The helper will come, the Spirit, what does he do? Who reveals the truth about God. Okay, in case we missed it, when the Spirit comes, who reveals the truth about God? He will lead you into all the truth. Truth about God. He will give me glory because he will take what I say and tell it to you. So the function of the Holy Spirit is to tell us the truth about God and the ultimate truth about God is about Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is continually bringing to our minds um, Jesus' revelation of God. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus to bring us to God. And again, the third time, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper who will stay with you forever. He's the Spirit who reveals the truth about God. So we can see how the judgment and the Holy Spirit would work very carefully together, right? If the judgment is the light that's come into the world, that's the light that the Holy Spirit wants to bring us also. So the Holy Spirit then would have to be very important in the judgment because that's the part of the Godhead that's described as continually, like the wind, maybe choosing just the right, most opportune times, uh, trying to bring us this wonderful truth about God. Okay, and uh, this is so redundant here, the function of the Holy Spirit in John 4, but a time is coming and it's already here. Even now the true worshipers are being led by the Spirit to worship the Father according to the truth. So the Spirit and truth so much together. These are the ones the Father is seeking to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship God must be led by the spirit to worship him according to the truth. Okay, and I think this is the last one I have on this in Ephesians, where Paul would say, I've not stopped giving thanks to God for you. I remember you in my prayers. Um, to, to, that God would give you the spirit 
who will make you wise, and again, what's the function? And reveal God to you. So the Spirit is pouring out this revelation of God so that you will know him. Eternal life is to know God. We get that through the Spirit. So Jesus, for us, becomes not just a historical figure that lived 2,000 years ago, but I think as we read the Bible, as we pray, as we reflect on all of this, that the Holy Spirit brings Jesus as a real present person, the words, the life, the actions, to us in the 21st century. It has a very powerful effect on us uh, as we, you know, with the help of the Holy Spirit, um, try to understand God through Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is often, I think, misunderstood as kind of a, you're filled with the Spirit, you're out of control, and you're, you lose control. But notice, the Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. These are Christ-like qualities, right? So by beholding God, we become changed. As the Holy Spirit shows us what God is like, um, we begin to reflect, perhaps just a little bit, in our own life, uh, these Christ-like qualities. Okay, so uh, perhaps we can see the judgment now in a few examples. One would be the unpardonable sin, okay, which terrified me as a child. I didn't want to think about the Holy Spirit because I did not want to do whatever it was that would lead to this sin. But I think now we can understand what is the unpardonable sin. And let's just read the story here that... Um, so the Pharisees are not very happy with Jesus. They accuse him of having a demon. They said he drives out demons only because their ruler, Beelzebul, gives him power to do so. Jesus knew what they were thinking. No, it is not Beelzebul, but God's spirit who gives me the power to drive out demons, which proves that the kingdom of God has already come upon you. For this reason I tell you, people can be forgiven any sin and any evil thing they say, but whoever says evil things against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who says something against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but whoever says something against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven now or ever. So tell me, how does, does this make sense um, to you? What, what is, what's so serious about a sin against the Holy Spirit? What's he talking about here? Again, my thinking was I, I don't want to say something bad about the Holy Spirit, okay, but, but obviously there's a, there's a deeper meaning here. What is the sin against the Holy Spirit that can't be forgiven? Yes. Yeah, I like that. That's, that's kind of how I would understand this because here in this story, what is Jesus doing? He's, he's healing people, right? He's, he's uh, here with the outcasts of society. He's healing them. And that you could look at that and you could conclude that that is the work of Satan. Um... So I think the sin of the Holy Spirit, as you said, the Holy Spirit is pouring out the revelation of who God is through Jesus Christ. And when you can, you actually get the intensity of that. And here they're standing there and they're watching all these people being healed. And that you could actually see that as demonic. You have completely twisted reality upside down, right? And so I think when we see something that is Christ-like, I mean, that, that is really... Um, you know, it is a reflection of Jesus and we, we actually see that as a satanic thing. Um, well, that says pretty bad things about us, right? So I think when we get it completely mixed around, um, that is the sin of the Holy Spirit, which again, I would say is not God saying, okay, you've gone too far, you've crossed the line. 
that's not forgivable. Uh, it would be more like a, a doctor diagnosing, you know, with an MRI scan, and you know, you're filled with cancer. There's nothing I can do. And so, when spiritually speaking, we are just cancer and scar tissue, uh, it's a it's a diagnosis of a condition rather than uh, something where God would would say, no, I can't forgive that. Okay, what more can God do when He comes in human form, and the picture of God is so twisted that it's viewed as demonic. Okay, so I would see that um, as the unpardonable sin, and that relates to what we're talking about with judgment and the Holy Spirit. Okay, I wish Dr. Tonstad were, was still here. He left for Norway a year ago, but he has some good comments on this, on judgment. Revelation becomes judgment by exposing the individual's response to Jesus. To remain in the darkness means the darkness of misperception of God. Okay, and, and again, um, in another place he wrote, the character of the judgment is revelatory, not judicial. When revelation can do more, do no more, it is over. It is finished. The revealer is not a judge, but the revealer. And when he can do, do no more as revealer, he must cease and desist. Because what are his options here? When he's poured out every bit of revelation of love and everything that he can on us, his choice really is to coerce at that point. And God cannot really coerce us into the kingdom. He can't intimidate people into the kingdom. God reveals persuasively and uh, does everything in, in that arena, not in the coercion arena. So let's give a few more specific examples of uh, judgment in conclusion. One I would say is Pharaoh. Okay, Moses came to Pharaoh and it would seem that it's very confusing. In the span of three verses, what happened to Pharaoh's heart is described three ways. Okay, when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and thunder had ceased, he sinned once more and he hardened his heart, he and his officials. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he would not let the Israelites go just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. And then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh for I have hardened his heart. So which is it? He hardened his own heart or just as a matter of fact, it was hardened or God hardened his heart. Um, how do you understand the description here? Take our pick. Yes. Why, why yes. Why can't they all be true? I think they all are true. And some of you probably heard this illustration, but here's how I think we can harmonize all three. Okay. Pharaoh's heart. Well, let's say anyone responding to God, um, we can say we have like a, a lump of butter and a lump of clay. Okay, and you expose those to heat. Okay, let's use that as the revelation. Okay, so people respond differently. Uh, we can soften in response to that revelation or become hard. Okay, so it's the same thing. God is bringing, in the case of Pharaoh, evidence. Okay, every single one of those plagues was evidence, was a defeating of the gods of that time. The god of the frogs, they worshipped the god of the frog. Every single one went through systematically saying, I'm stronger than that god. The god doesn't exist, by the way. I'm stronger than that god. Systematically, evidence, revelation, okay, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So in a sense, God did it. He brought the revelation, okay, but Pharaoh hardened his heart by the way he responded to the revelation. So I think, um, yeah, I agree. I think we can use all of those together. I would use another example of um, judgment. 
the response to Jesus by two of his disciples. Both Judas and Peter betrayed Jesus. Okay, they both lived with Jesus for three and a half years. They saw everything he did, all of the miracles, um, his whole life. Okay, and they both rejected Jesus. Okay, but of course, in the case of Peter, God was able to win him back. And when we get to the end of John, we'll, we'll talk about the way that God won Peter back. But I would say they both had the full exposure to God's love, and this was how they responded. Okay? God didn't do anything to Judas. He hung himself. Okay? But he was able to win Peter back. Here's another example, um, a, a shocking example, really, on the cross, that the Jews, since it was the day of Sabbath preparation, and so the bodies wouldn't stay on the crosses over the Sabbath, it was the high holy day that year, petitioned Pilate that their legs be broken to speed death and the bodies taken down. And of course, why did they want to do that? Because they wanted to get home to keep the Sabbath. And if you break legs of someone on the cross, they die faster. And if there's any doubt about the response, at least among some, to Jesus is that going home to keep the Sabbath, I mean, who is Lord of the Sabbath? And that they would have it this so twisted up um, here that uh, getting home to keep the Sabbath would, I mean, it just, I don't have words for it. It was just so uh, backwards, okay, that, that that's how they responded to the revelation of God. Now, Nicodemus, we started out this story, uh, he was one to God. Nicodemus, who had first gone to Jesus, see Jesus at night, went with Joseph, taking with him about 100 pounds of spices, a mixture of myrrh, and then these two men, Nicodemus and Joseph, took Jesus' body, wrapped it in linen cloths with the spices, and prepared a, a burial. Okay, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, but again, the way he responded, he came into the light. So in conclusion, um, what we've said, this uh, story of Nicodemus is about the kingdom of God, being born again, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. The ultimate revelation of God is as we see him lifted up on the cross, that is the supreme example of God's love, and judgment is bringing that as a present reality into the way we think. And how do we respond to that? And so it's, uh, we, there's so much on the kingdom of God, but I, I just want to conclude with this. What does it mean? The whole subject here of this conversation was the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? And there's been so much uh, recent scholarship on this um, that the kingdom of God is not primarily referring to getting to heaven at some point in the future. That when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, it is a present reality. It is bringing God's kingdom, God's government, to the here and now. I mean, just one verse on that. When the Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God would come, his answer was, the kingdom of God does not come in such a way as to be seen. No one will say, look, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within or among you. So the, the, the kingdom, yes, there is a heaven and an afterlife and all of that, but the kingdom of God we want to bring is to the here and now of how we live and treat people. And what does the kingdom of God look like? Just in a word, it looks like Jesus. So whenever we are treating people the way Jesus treated people, we're bringing the kingdom of God to this earth. Uh, the way we treat outcasts, we want to treat them as Jesus treated them. Everything we see in the life of Jesus, when we bring that to the way we treat people, um, we are taking part in bringing the kingdom of God um, to this earth. And I think when we will at some point perhaps 
talk about all the discussion. This was the dominant theme of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Talked about it so much that this is what he's referring to. All right, so I think next time we will go over, John has unique stories that are not found in the other gospels, and so we're just going to go through some of those stories together. All right, let's pray. Dear Father, we know that you are constantly working with us, trying to reveal more to us about who you are. Uh, we appreciate knowing that all three members of the Godhead are equally for us. Uh, we are grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, continually pouring out truth about who you are through Jesus Christ. Help us to receive this more fully into our daily lives. Amen.